Thanks for listening to the Highlands podcast. At Highlands, we believe in leading you into a growing relationship with Jesus and equipping you to have a life full of purpose as you build your faith. We can't wait for you to join us next weekend. But for now, enjoy this message from our communicators. Fantastic. Look, this morning we are honoured to have Dr. Robbie here with us uh, as a clinical psychologist and someone who speaks all over the world into to leaders, to churches, to people, different organisations and helping them in this area that we are talking about, this battle, this, these games that we play in our mind. And so as with his expertise, I think that this is a really valuable time for us as a church. So I encourage you, be, be attentive, lean in, take notes because you will grow in this area. So right now, why don't we put our hands together as we welcome Dr. Robbie to the stage. Good on you, Doug. Thank you so much. And good morning, everyone. I hope that you've had a pleasant morning so far. And if it's been pleasant and relaxing, I hope that's the end of it. I hope that from this moment on, we start to get excited about what God's going to do in our midst and that we can take it to the next level. And I, I really, I've been really touched um, by the hospitality and uh, my son and I have been so welcomed here. So thank you so much. Uh, we feel like we're at home, that we can just sit back and, and relax. But I, I just encourage you, if you are relaxed, just lean forward just a little bit, because I believe that God really wants to do something in our midst this morning. And so why don't we pray and then we'll get underway. Are you good? Let's pray. God, I just thank you so much that this is the service, not just another service, but the service. And I pray, God, that you would have your way. Open up our hearts and our minds, God, to receive what it is that you want to say to us today. And I pray, God, that it would penetrate so deeply that we would, we would not remain unmoved, that we would have to, we would be compelled to, to rise up and take action. And I just thank you so much that by our actions, God, you might be glorified. And so we just praise your name. Have your way, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a doctor in clinical psychology. My wife and I, we work in various different places around the world, uh, mostly in war zones um, or in disaster areas or increasingly these days uh, with human trafficking. Our area is trauma rehabilitation. And, uh, and it's been exciting to see how biblical principles can be infused with science as we've created a variety of different programs and, and rolled them out. And, and one of the observations that we have made is that people can make a very effective and tangible recovery. So the role of a psychologist is to come alongside somebody when they've been knocked back or knocked down in life. And that might be some of you here today. The idea is that if you started at neutral or your original position of zero, and due to adverse life events, you've got knocked back into minus, well, a psychologist comes alongside and says, well, let's go on a journey. Let's learn some skills. Let's develop some strategies so that you can effectively return to your original starting position. We call it rehabilitated, rescued, restored, or any other R word. But, but what we, we're passionate about is, is not just you know, being on the front lines. We're equally as passionate about taking psychology from the front line and bringing it to the home front. Because who knows, we need these principles as well. And what we've observed over the years is that, well, some people, even though they can make an effective recovery, others, they don't just stop at zero. They go beyond zero into plus, ending up better off in the end than what they were before the tragedy took place. Almost making true of that age-old statement, that which doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. 
But our observation has also been it's not true for everyone. Uh, for the rest of us, that which didn't kill us almost killed us. Now we walk around with a limp for the rest of our lives. And so it got us asking the question, like, what is it about the people who are able to go from strength to strength that whatever they go through, they can grow through? Like, what have they got that the rest of us perhaps don't? Well, we weren't the only ones asking that question. There were a series of academics in the United States, Professor Martin Seligman and colleagues, who were making the same observation that some people, they, go, they, they grow through their tragic circumstances. And so they conducted some research. And what they discovered is that people who grow through tragedy possess five unique qualities or characteristics, they call them core character strengths, that many other people don't typically have. So we went one step further and said, well, okay, so I might not have these core characteristics and qualities, but could I learn them? Like, could I adopt them? Could I then learn or understand what they are and then apply them in my life? And could I get the same growth benefits? And the answer to that question was yes. We've had literally hundreds of thousands of people go through uh, programs in the Middle East, in, in and throughout Africa and Asia, um, all who have this testimony now of the goodness of what God has done in their life, depositing gems or core principles that they can apply so that they are not just hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And so I thought it might be cool to unpack these five core character strengths with you today so that you too may be able to adopt them if you choose to, or if it's not relevant for you, that you may be able to share these quality, these characteristics with somebody who may well need them. Is that okay to do? You're awfully quiet today. Are you still alive? We, we're not, we're Highlanders, I heard. I thought we were like full of, you know, passion. So, uh, and I have it on good authority. This is the loudest, most rowdiest service of the day. Is that true? <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll find out. I was giving a seminar not so long ago to a group of um, financial leaders and I was sharing the story of a gardener who wanted to grow some flowers in some pots but wanted to know which would be the best kind of pot that would facilitate the greatest growth. So he took five different colored pots and put fertile soil in each, put a seed in each, put water in each and put all five into the sun. But the the pots were made up of different colors. For example, there was a yellow pot symbolizing the energy of the sun. And where there is energy, there's the capacity for, for life to grow. But, but another pot was blue, representing water. And where there is water, there's the possibility for life. Another pot was green, symbolizing vegetation. Another pot was brown, symbolizing the dirt that we would plant seed into. And another pot was gray, just kind of neutral, having no representation of all, the control in other words. And so he wanted to know which one, which pot would facilitate the greatest growth. So I asked the financial leaders, I said, which one of these five pots do you believe the seed or the flowers will grow best in? And one gentleman raised his hand and he said, it's the brown pot. Now, this was fascinating to me because he got the answer right. Um, so if you're wondering which of the five pots, it's the brown pot. And so I said to him, I said, you're, you're actually right. Like, but, but my question is, how did you know? Like, like did, have you heard this tricks question before? Like, what, what gave it away? Like, how did you know that it would be the brown pot? To which he said, well, I, I just determined it to be so. And I thought, okay, so is that 
some kind of new agey, like law of attraction. You just will it into being. But then, of course, I asked a, a follow-up question, and most of you hopefully are smarter than this financial leader. You are plugged in. You know that whenever you are asked a question by a psychologist, chances are it's a trick question. Of course, it doesn't matter what color the pot is. So I said to him, I said, what about the blue one or the yellow one or the green one like, or the gray one? Why won't they grow equally as well? Because here's the point. If the conditions are right, growth is not optional. It's inevitable. If you put seed into fertile soil and you put water into it and you put it into the sun, well, growth, it's not just, I hope, no, it's kind of pretty much guaranteed. If the conditions are right, you too can grow. But when it comes to human beings, we're not talking about the external conditions in our life. We're talking about the internal conditions. And indeed, according to research, we're talking about the core character strengths that we need to have in our lives. And the first of these five is simply called hope. The best definition of hope is simply making a choice to believe that my tomorrow is going to be better than my today or my yesterday. It's a choice that I get to make. However, you might occasionally come upon people where they say, oh no, like I'm down and out on my luck and and I, I just actually, I've got no hope. But if you were to challenge them and ask them to clarify exactly what they mean, well, chances are they will say, well, you know, I just, I kind of feel hopeless. But can I just point out, feeling hopeless is not the same as having no hope. To have no hope means you're dead. So long as you have breath in your lungs, there's still hope. So when somebody says, I feel hopeless, well, that's exactly what they're describing. They just simply have less Hope, hope less. Hope is a little bit like faith in terms that Scripture says that we've all got a measure of faith. So hope is not just something that we have or don't have. Rather, it's something that we get to cultivate. But sometimes we try and cultivate our hope misunderstanding what it actually is. Uh, We might scurry around in our lives thinking, well, if I could just get that thing happening or going on in my life, then I'll have hope for an amazing future. For example, you might be just graduating from from high school and then you think to yourself, if I could just get into that university course then I'll be happy because it's high competition out there. And, you know, have I got the ATAR? And, well, let's just imagine you got the ATAR that you needed and you got into that university. Then you discover, wow, it's flipping really hard here. Like I've got all these exams and assignments. And so, so if I could just pass my exams, then I would be happy. But then as soon as you pass that exam, you realize, well, there's another exam and another exam and another exam. And so you start thinking, if I could just graduate from my degree, then I would be happy. But as soon as you graduate and you enter into the workforce, you realize it's a cutthroat environment out there. In fact, it's hard to get a job because there's all of these other graduates applying for the same position. And so you think, if I could just get that job... Well, let's just say you got the job and then you realize that you're starting at the base pay down here and everyone else is up there. And if I could just get that, when does it end? Like, is is there a place that we actually arrive at the top of the ladder or is it like just this never ending stairway? Like, is there a place that we actually arrive and we go, dun, dun, dun? 
Well, or maybe you can't relate. Maybe for you, it's not academics. Maybe for you, I know, maybe for you, it's romance. Uh, maybe you have been thinking to yourself, if I could just get that girl or that guy to go out with me, then I would be happy. And then you do this. <gasps> And then you think to yourself, if I could just get that girl to keep on going out with me so we could like going steady now, then I would be happy. (gasps) And then you think to yourself, if I could just get down on bended knee and if she would just say yes to the marriage proposal, (gasps) she would make me the happiest man on earth. And (gasps) And then you finally think, if she would just rock up on the wedding day. (gasps) But as the saying goes, Love is blind, then you get married, and now you can see. And let's just imagine it didn't quite work out the way in which you thought, and all it takes is for your balloon of hope to pass over the candle of life, the flame of life, and in a moment after your first argument, your hopes are dashed, suggesting that maybe, just maybe, it wasn't hope to begin with. Maybe it was wishful thinking. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed, if you've ever been let down, that you placed your hope for happiness in something and then you arrived at that place and it just wasn't as fulfilling as you thought it would or should be. But I thank God for Romans chapter 5, verse 5 that says, but now there is a hope that does not disappoint. And what is that hope? Well, we said before that hope is a little bit like faith. And so if that's true, we would do well to go to the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. And and let's check out verse one. It says from the New King James, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not yet seen. So now if it's true that faith is not hot air, but rather it is the substance. Well, what if in Toowoomba we were conducting, we were to conduct a little scientific experiment? I'm not sure the last time that happened in church, but what if instead of filling our balloon with hot air, what if we filled it with the substance of things hoped for? In other words, the word or the water of the word of God. Check it out. Now that my balloon is filled with the substance of things hoped for, let's put it over the flame of life and see what happens. Now, I'm just realizing that my phone on the table is very vicariously close to the uh, balloon and the candle. Um, but hang on, like, like something mysterious is, is happening. And, and please note, it's not that the temperature of the flame has changed. And it's not that the quality of the rubber of the balloon has changed. Nope, still made in China. But, but rather, it's what the the balloon is filled with. And instead of being filled with hot air, when the balloon, when our balloon of hope is filled with the water of the Word, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with the substance of things hoped for, can I point out, it is never pleasant to pass over the flame of life. But though we may get burned, we will not break in Jesus' name. Stay. It's interesting that, that hope is something that we get to cultivate. It's not wishful thinking. It's based on substance. But what's the substance? 
Well, core characteristic number two, it's called faith. And now technically in the scientific literature, these secular researchers who have discovered these things, first birthed in, in Scripture, but now confirmed and validated by science, they describe it as religiousness which is a little misleading because subsequent research has been conducted and they have discovered that it doesn't matter how many times you pray a day, how many hours you read Scripture, or how many times, if you're a once a Sunday church attender or a twice or a three times a, church, a Sunday church attender, it doesn't really matter. In fact, even believing in God doesn't do you much good. Now, I, I would love to stand here and say something different. I'd love to say, all you need to do is just believe in God and everything's going to be okay. I'm not sure why I went into an American accent, but anyway, moving right along. And some of you, I know you're sitting there, arms folded a little bit and thinking, hang on, who even is this guy? Like, he's not even a pastor. Like, he's a, like he's a, he says, this is sacrilegious teaching. Like, we just need to believe in God. But here's the point. Before you judge me, check it out. Even the devil believes in God and it doesn't do him much good. What studies have shown is that the single differentiating factor between people who grow through tragic circumstances versus those who just go through is that people believe in a God who actually cares about them. 1 Peter chapter 5 Verse 6 to 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He might lift you up in due time. In fact, go ahead. Cast all of your anxieties, your worries, your cares on Him. Why? Because, well, He cares for you. If this is God's heart and His disposition, that He actively cares for you, well, now we've got the substance to hold on to when it comes to our hope. I was uh, doing a training in northern Iraq not so long ago for a group of medical uh, uh, doctors and nurses in, in a hospital. And, uh, and of course, they were looking at me a little bit strangely as I'm the white Western guy and we're coming obviously from two very different worldviews in terms of um, Islam and, and Christianity. And so I'm starting to talk about what the research says on God and everyone starts getting nervous and starts, you know, shifting that. And I says, look, 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 stop, stop. Um, my goal is not to tell you what you should believe. Rather, my goal is to simply tell you what science says about this core factor or core character strength called faith or belief. And so I explained it like this. I said, there was once this lady, she was pregnant with triplets. And she was in her last trimester of pregnancy, and she came from a long line of carpenters in her family. Her auntie was a carpenter. Her dad was a carpenter. And she was pretty gifted with her own hands. And, and so she thought in the last trimester of pregnancy that she would build her own baby's furniture. So she took herself off to the lumber yard and with her own coin purchased the timber, carried the timber back. Not too much. Remember, she is pregnant. Last trimester. She's pretty big. And so she puts the timber down, and then she starts soaring, and she starts hammering and the three babies in utero spark up a conversation with one another. And the first baby says to the other two, what on earth is going on? Like all of this noise and this vibration and this pressure, like what's happening here? And baby number two says, oh, you see, I think that all of this noise, vibration and pressure, it's an exciting sign that something really great is about to happen. Whereas baby number three says, don't be so stupid. All of this noise, vibration and pressure is a sign that something imminently bad is about to happen. And baby number one, of course, says, do you really think that something good or bad is about to happen? And baby number two says, yes. Because you see, I believe in this thing called life after birth. 
And not only that, but I believe in this creature called mother. And I believe that she has our best interests in her heart. And in fact, I think that she's preparing a place for us. And baby number three says, how stupid can you be and still breathe even though you're not breathing yet? Give me the cord here. Look, there is no such thing as life after birth. And even if there was, I don't want to experience it because it sounds terribly scary out there. And not only that, but there is no such thing as mother. And even if there was, I don't want to ever meet her because what kind of woman? And now we have a question that is posed that is commonly asked by people who have gone through trauma. It's interesting that trauma is one of the few pathologies that people can go through that irrespective of whether or not they believe in God, they tend to find themselves talking to Him. And the questions are not always so pleasant. And the most common question is, of course, why? Like, why would you let this happen? Or maybe what, in the context of the baby, what kind of God would let this take place? But people who grow through their tragic circumstances, they ask a slightly different question. Instead of why or what, they ask the question, who? Who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that I can ask, think, or imagine? Oh, wait, it's you. And God, I might not understand why this is happening, but I do know who. And here's the deal, because you care for me, if my heart is breaking, then your heart must be breaking also because... You love me. Once again, it's not my job to tell you what to believe, but it is my job to tell you that according to empirical studies, only one of the three babies go on to grow through their tragic circumstances because they believe in a God who actively cares for them. And if that's true, if there is a God that really does care for them, well, core characteristic number three is called gratitude where we've now got something to be thankful for. In fact, check it out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says, Give thanks in most circumstances. Uh, oh, sorry. oh sorry. sorry, that was the Victorian Bible. Uh, in the Queensland Bible, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Well, because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus gratitude is like this. You can be going through the darkest of days. You don't feel like being thankful because, well, there's lots of bad stuff happening. But when bad stuff happens, it's a little bit like your device. When it's not working properly, what do we do? We just press the on-off button and hold it for five seconds. It's called rebooting, and that's what gratitude does. You can be experiencing the worst of days, but yet if you stop and you say, yet still I will count my blessings one by one, I'm going to look at the silver lining in this. I'm going I'm to ask, what have I still got to be thankful for? And when you stop and you are grateful well, you hijack your brain and you take back emotional control. You've rebooted your system, so to speak. But according to one particular researcher, not all types of gratitude are the same. Research shows that if you are finding something uh, really great, if somebody has done something really nice for you and you go out of your way to thank them, whether it call them, send them a text message or write them a poem or a letter or whatever it might be, if you are feeling down and out on Friday, you do this on Saturday, you feel fantastic. In other words, research shows that emotional fireworks go off in your life. It feels great to say thanks and be a appreciative or communicate your gratitude towards somebody else. However, 
At the same time, research shows that it is not long-lasting. So if you were depressed on Friday, did it on Saturday, by Monday you're depressed again. However, researchers took another group of people and they said, we, we, we don't want you to find someone to thank. We would rather like you to thank the source, the source of goodness. So every night before going to bed, count your blessings and write them down. Like write down five things that transpired this day that you could be grateful for. Now, most people find it easy to get three things, but it's a little harder to push through and get number four and, and then really search what happened today. And, and as you're searching, as you're meditating on the things that are right and pure and good and just, just like it says in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Well, in verse seven, it says, there's this gift, there's this peace that surpasses all understanding that guards your heart and your mind. You just tapped into something that doesn't quite make sense. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. Researchers showed that when people do this, no emotional fireworks go off in their lives. It takes a much longer time for their emotional well-being to rise. In fact, a series of weeks. But because you're doing it every night, it starts to become habitual. It starts to become a, a part of your way of living. And what research shows is when your well-being has risen over a couple of weeks of doing this exercise of counting your blessings every night before going to bed, your emotional well-being is sustained over the long term. It becomes a disposition. It becomes a part of you. It's a little bit like Winston Churchill. I don't know if you're a big fan or if you don't like the guy. Irrespective of his politics, I think he was a genius because he was able to master this principle. That in the midst of the darkest of times, he was able to maintain an attitude of gratitude. In fact, check it out. In 1941, on October 29, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Winston Churchill, he visited Harrow's school to speak to the students as he had done a year earlier. But before speaking, the students got up and sang a song for him. But they creatively added an extra verse to the song to honour him. And the song goes like this. It says, Not lest we praise in darker days. The leader of our nation and Churchill's name shall win acclaim from each new generation. For you have Power endangers our, our freedom to defend, sir. Though long the fight, we know that right will triumph in the end, sir. Now, I love Winston Churchill for a whole variety of different reasons. And one of them is whenever he got up to give a speech, it sounded like he was a little bit drunk. And I just thought that's rather, uh, I, I love, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but actually it endeared me to him. And so he now gets up and speaks to the students at Harrow's school. And he says, uh, you sang here a verse of the school song. You sang that extra verse that was written in my honour, which I was greatly complimented by. Uh, but uh, there was one word that I wanted to alter. I wanted to do so last year, but I did not venture to. It is the, the line that says, not lest we praise in darker days. I've obtained the headmaster's permission to alter darker to sterner, not lest we praise in sterner days. Do not let us speak of darker days. Let us speak rather of sterner days. These are not dark days. These are great days. The greatest days our country has ever lived. And we must all thank God that we have been allowed, each of us according to our stations, to play our part in making these days memorable in the history of our race. Okay, so 
<clears throat> might have got carried away. Thank God no one walked out during that dramatic performance. But, but here's the point. Isn't it amazing that even in the darkest of times, even when the odds are stacked against, let's not speak of dark days. Let's speak of sterner days. Who knows? Somebody right about now needs to do that in our country. Well, we can look around. We're all whinging, whining, and complaining either side of the spectrum, whether it be, oh, I should get vaccinated. Or no. How dare they be forcing this? Where's our freedoms? It's our battle of Britain moment. And we're all whinging and whining. These are dark days. Do not let us speak of darker days. Let us praise God and say, recognize, hey, when the Apostle John wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ, the final book of the Bible, it was at a point of history where it looked like the world had gone to custard. The Romans had taken over. It's all over Red Rover. And yet, birthed out of that was the greatest revival we have ever seen. Let us not speak of dark days. Let us speak rather of sterner days. If we're able to discipline ourselves and recognise, okay, so, so I, I want to be grateful and not just thank you for doing so. I want to thank the source and I want to make it a part of who I am on a daily basis. Well, I tap into something very special. We said before that we often place our hope for happiness in external things. Well, according to science, there are three different types of happiness. The first is called the pleasant life. This is where everything is going so good for me. I love my life. I've got a great job. I've got a great guy or girl. You should see my car. But then the car breaks down, you lose your job, and the girl breaks up with you, and all of a sudden you've lost that happiness. It seems as though it's just a transient state so long as things are going well for you. The second type of happiness is called the productive life. And this is where you love what you do, where you might love being a mother, or you might love your business, or you might love your sport or your, or your music. And, and when you're playing, it can be like time stands still. What do they say? Time flies when you're having fun. You could be every swoosh, every shot goes straight through the hoop. You're on, a, you're on a roll. You're in the state of flow. And you think it's just been an hour, but it's been hours as you've been playing. It's a great feeling to have when you're on a roll. But then all of a sudden, you can have a spell where everything doesn't quite go well. Every shot you take bounces off the backboard or off the rim where, where things don't quite go as well as what you had hoped. And once again, it seems as though that happiness dissipates, highlighting once again a transient nature of that kind of happiness. But then there's a third type of happiness, and it's called the meaningful life. This is where I now get to make a meaningful and valuable contribution to the life of another. And when I do that, research shows my happiness and well-being is sustained over the long term, which leads us to the next core characteristic. It's called kindness. This is where I get to take the spotlight off of myself, off of my problems, off of my worries, my concerns, the uncertainty of the future. And I just simply ask the question, who could I make a valuable contribution to today? What gifts, skills, talents, resources, opportunities might I have to invest in another's life? And here's the deal. If you make a valuable contribution, well, value is the same as worth. And self-worth is the same as the term self-esteem. And self-esteem is the pathway to self confidence. If you want confidence in this uncertain day and age, well, we would do well to take the spotlight off of ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. If we were to today not just be 
warmers of a seat on a Sunday morning, hearers of the Word, just letting the Word wash all over you. But if we were to grab hold of it, and if we were to walk out of this place today and say, I'm going to actually do some of these things. I'm not just going to be a hearer of the Word. I'm going to be a doer of the Word. Well, research shows if you actually apply some of the Scriptures in your life, Scriptures like Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 that says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Or 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. Or Colossians 3 verse 23, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Research shows that if you're feeling depressed and anxious, you might even be clinically diagnosed as such, and you hate your job, but you go to work and you apply these three things in your life, not just being a hearer, but a doer now of the Word. And whether it be your customers or your co-workers, if you say, hey, whatever I get a chance to do, I'm going to bless them. If I'm going for a coffee, I'm making them one too. And not only that, but as I serve them, it's like I'm serving Jesus. I'm going to go out of my way and give with a cheerfulness in my heart. Research shows if you do that every day, within 183 days, you have made a significant recovery from your anxiety and depression. Now, can I just point out, 183 days, it's actually not that long. It's, a, it's about half a year. And in an audience of this size, chances are there will be people who will be on a whole lot of other treatment regimes for your anxiety and your depression. And you will have been on those treatment regimes for a whole lot longer than half a year. And I'm not suggesting that you should flush your medication down the toilet and sack your therapist, but I am suggesting, what if we also gave God a go? What if we actually applied the Word of God in our lives? Don't believe me that anything would change. Just see what would happen. I, I love Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, which says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. But all too often, we put the wrong emphasis on the wrong word. We're like, all right, so as long as I don't give up on doing good things, then I'm going to reap a harvest. And so out of obligation, I'm just going to keep on hacking away at this. And we miss the point. It says, do not grow weary in doing good. Because as it was said in the offering message, well, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. If you love, it just wells up on the inside. You, you can't help yourself. You want to be a part of this. In the same way, you can be doing good things. Oh yeah, you have no idea. I'm always looking after other people. I'm always helping out that person. I'm a, but if, you, if that's the attitude with which you do it, that's called compulsion. Not kindness. However, if we are believing that my tomorrow is gonna be better than my today, and my faith is not based on hot air, it's the substance that God actually cares for me, it's my faith. And thirdly, if that's true, well, I got something to be grateful for. And now I can take the spotlight off myself and I can make a valuable contribution to the life of somebody else. I now am in a position to tap into the fifth and final characteristic, which is called courage. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, final verse of the morning. It says, For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, or in other translations, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather He's given us power, love, and self-discipline. It's not that we don't have fear. Everyone experiences fear. And even though the Bible is really clear, hey, don't be afraid, be anxious for nothing. We have to understand the difference between experiencing anxiety and being anxious. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. 
But if you go too close to the edge of a cliff, you'll get a shot of anxiety that will preserve your life. It will make you take a step back. You experienced it. You weren't it. You had it. There's a difference here. Let's understand that great heroes, they don't have this deficit of fear. No, rather, they experience fear, but they overcome the fear when they stop to stare it in the face, recognizing that fear is that age-old acronym, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. And when you stop to stare it in the face, you realize it loses its power over you. How do we tap in to that kind of courage? Choose to believe that my tomorrow is going to be better than my today. God is for me, not against me. And if He is for me, then who or what could be against me? And so now I've got something to be grateful for. And I can take my, the spotlight off myself and make a valuable contribution to the life of somebody else, which gives me courage. I noticed in the first service that there's no windows in this room. And so if we blocked out all of the lights and blew out the candle, it would be pitch dark. And if I asked you to come up and help me, if you could please you know, carry some of this stuff down, you'd probably say, sorry, no, I, I kind of see my hand in front of my face. Like it's, it's pitch dark. And I said, oh, sorry, let me turn on the light for you. And I took a big spotlight and I shone it right in your face. And then, and then now... I said, so I turned the light on for you. Can, can you come up and help me? And, and you would say, um, I'm, I'm not sure because I'm blinded by the light. And so it would be hard for you to walk courageously with boldness and courage because, well, you can't see anything. And so you'd be walking like this. But if we took that same spotlight and instead of shining it on you, if we shone it in the direction in which you were going, and then I said, can you please come up and help me? This is what you would look like. Sure, no problem. And you would walk now with boldness and courage and confidence because I can see clearly now the rain is Here's the principle. When we embody these five core principles, it's not that we don't have fear. It's that we conquer fear. And when I take the spotlight off myself and I know where I'm going, I know what I stand for, I know my purpose, I know upon which foundation I rest my feet, everything changes. Final thought of the morning, Rocky Balboa. I love the Rocky movies. And there's this scene in one of the latest movies or the later movies, should I say, not the Creed, but the final ones where Rocky should have long retired. And now his son is coming up through the boxing ranks. And one day his son is bragging and boasting and saying, Dad, I can hit so hard. I can hit so fast. No one can beat me. And Rocky says, whoa, no, time out. It, it, look, it doesn't matter how hard or how fast you can be hit. What matters or how hard you can hit or how fast you can hit. What matters is how hard you can be hit, get knocked down, but then get back up and keep on going. That's how winning is done. And I think that is a principle or a key that each and every one of us could take away from today to recognize there might've been hardships, but as long as you've got breath in your lungs, it ain't over yet. Let's dust ourselves back off, stand back up and go back into the fray because with God on our side, no fiery weapon formed against us may prevail. If he is for us, who or what could be against us? Come on. Does anyone believe like King David that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil? Why does he fear no? God is with him. And that is the point. As we end this service today, why don't we stand to our feet? I'd love to close in prayer that you would walk out of this service today with God with you, by your side, on your side, 
ready for battle. No matter what comes your way, whatever you go through, you can grow through because if the internal conditions are right, growth is not optional, it's inevitable. I wonder if there's anyone in this place today who wants a little bit of that. Father God, I just thank you so much that we have listened patiently to what Scripture and science has said, confirmed and validated. And I thank you, God, that there's a promise attached to this, that we need be anxious for nothing, but in all things, we can present our requests and make them known to you with thanksgiving. And that there is a peace that will surpass all understanding, that will guard our hearts and minds if we meditate on the things that are right and pure and good and just. So I pray that today we wouldn't just be hearers of the Word, that we would be activators of the Word, that we would walk out of here choosing to believe that the best is yet to come, choosing to believe that, God, you really care. And therefore, we've got something to be grateful for and something to contribute to those who are around us. And as a result, we develop the courage and the confidence that we need to go back into the fray and live our lives with boldness. God, this is a bold prayer, but I pray that you would give each and every one of us courage today. And in fact, just while every eye is closed and every head is bowed, maybe that courage for you today is to simply take the first step. You know, Scripture says that whenever anybody believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that He is, Jesus being Lord, that He is who He says that He is, that from that moment on, you shall not perish, but you enter into everlasting relationship with Him. And so God is already extending the invitation. He's reaching out His hand to you. And today, maybe your courageous step is to simply say yes and put your hand in His as He invites you on this exciting adventure called life. And if that is you, if you've never made a decision to trust, to put your faith in God, to actually be like the second baby and recognize, I believe that there is a life beyond this life and that there is good things that are yet to come and that God has our best interests in His heart and that He's preparing a place for us. Well, that takes courage. It takes boldness to put your faith in God. But I believe that there are people here today who are at that place. You're at the edge and you're saying, I'm ready to take the step. And if that's you, I'd just love to pray a quick prayer with you and for you. And it's a simple prayer. It just involves three things. One is a prayer of thanks, thanking God for inviting us to be in relationship, that we didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It's a gift and we get to have it free willingly. Uh, secondly, it's a prayer that says, sorry for going our own way, thinking we were God, doing whatever we wanted to do. But thirdly, it's a prayer that says, yes, I recognize that you are God and that I'll follow you as you invite me on this exciting adventure. And that's it. And through that prayer, you enter into a covenant that is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth that He is Lord. And watch what happens next. Here's the deal. It's your free will choice. So right now, with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you would like to pray this prayer, pray it with all sincerity. In fact, why don't we all pray this prayer out loud together? Just repeat these simple words after me. Say, dear God, thank you for inviting me to be in relationship with you. I'm sorry, God, for having gone my own way. But thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross to forgive my sins and that you rose again. And so this day, I say yes to you. I'll follow you as you lead me on this exciting adventure called life. 
not only now, but forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, why don't we give those people a massive round of applause who made that decision today. Good on you. Good on you for having the courage to take that first step. It's a little bit like a New Year's resolution. It's like, I'm going to the gym, all right? This is, I'm, this is, I'm gonna do it. And you take the step and you get a gym membership. But now what? Well, now you've got to go to the gym. And now you've got to work out your faith. And the very best thing that you can do, the very next step would just simply be to tell somebody. Say, you know what? I actually prayed that prayer, whether it be for the first time or after a longest time. I prayed it again and I'm sincere. I really want to get this relationship right. I want to be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death like David and fear no evil because he's with me now. So share it. Don't keep it to yourself. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Because this community wants to wrap its arms around you. And, and the next step after that is just come back next week. It's not like you're joining a church. You're just entering into a relationship with a community who have your best interests at heart. Or if you want, come back tonight. There's a different message tonight. And I, I'm really excited to see what God's going to do as we free flow and we let the Holy Spirit come and do His thing. So if you had plans, shift them, do whatever you can. Invite a friend. Don't come alone. I look forward to seeing you tonight and I hope you have a great weekend and week ahead. Wishing you all the best. God bless. Thanks. Thank you again for joining. We hope you feel encouraged to take these words with you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose and make a difference. For more resources and to connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and our website.